Welcome to Ghost Riders Anonymous, an inspirational and interactive podcast where we create worlds through words and writing. I'm Kelsey, and today I'd like to know if you were a Christmas lyric, what Christmas lyric would you be? I would be chestnuts roasting on an open fire. A couple months ago, I became aware of an indigenous dark fiction anthology, Never Whistle at Night, edited by Shane Hawk and Theodore C. Van Alst Jr. Every story is a different author. Some I've read, I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But there is one that absolutely captivated me. And when I finished it, I thought, what am I missing? And so then I went through and read it again. There is way more going on here than what I'm going to be discussing. The short story is Quantum by Nick Medina. To me, this is the very definition of what a short story should be. So before I get into the short story itself, I just want to read the back cover of the anthology to give you an idea of where we're going. Many indigenous people believe that one should never whistle at night. It can cause evil spirits to appear and even follow you home. These wholly original and shiver-inducing tales introduce readers to ghosts, curses, hauntings, monstrous creatures, complex family legacies, desperate deeds, and chilling acts of revenge. Introduced and contextualized by best-selling author Stephen Graham Jones, these stories are a celebration of indigenous people's survival and imagination and a glorious reveling in all the things an ill-advised whistle might summon. Since we have multiple authors in this, we're getting very different perspectives on just how they feel and how they're writing, what they're writing about, what their characters are saying and doing. So we're going to dive right into the short story Quantum by Nick Medina. Motherfuck, Amber Cloud said, studying the certificate in her left hand and the one in her right. Both bore the same header. United States Department of the Interior Bureau of Indian Affairs. Didn't I tell you it'd turn out this way, Dave Blackburn said. He pulled her down on the sofa next to him and wrapped an arm around her, lips pecking her temple, his eyes strained to read what the certificate said. On her left. This is to certify that Samuel Joseph Scott, born 21721, is one-eighth degree Indian blood. On her right. This is to certify that Grayson Joshua Blackburn, born 122821, is 516th degree Indian blood. I know Sammy was as much a mistake as Gray, but didn't your mama ever tell you not to get your kicks off the res to keep the bloodlines pure? Amber backhanded Dave's chest. They were surprises, not mistakes. And no, my mom told me to marry a rich white man who could afford to move my ass out of here. What are you doing with me then? Shut up, Dave. Amber pushed his arm from her shoulders and took to her feet, pacing in front of the TV. How do I get Sammy on the tribal roll? She eyed the meager fraction on Sammy's certificate as if she could will it up to one quarter. You don't. You know what this means. It means Sammy's going to be pissed on his 21st birthday. It means Gray will have opportunities that Sammy won't. Kind of funny, isn't it? Dave said. Amber scowled at him. Not funny, he said. Ironic is what I meant. It's usually the firstborn who benefits most. You know, the heir and the spare. Amber's mind cycled through the disparities her unintended boys might face. One of them entitled to money from the tribe's casino, the other out of luck. Gray would afford the university of his choice. Sammy would settle for community college or a trade. 
Gray would buy a house and land. Sammy would bust his ass to afford rent. Gray would see the world. Sammy would see the same work route day in and day out. Gray would be native. Sammy would be something else. Nothing you can do about it, Dave said. Sammy fussed in the boy's bedroom as though upset about the news. Amber stood between the cribs, Sammy on her left, Grayson on her right. Both boys favored her tawny skin, her dark brown eyes, her raven hair, but only one was like her and Dave. You put that there? She whispered to Dave, standing in the doorway. It's the same one my ma hung over my cradle when I was a kid. Amber's fingertips played on the spiderweb-like netting of the dreamcatcher dangling above Grayson's crib. She wondered if she should get one for Sammy, to protect him from evil in the night. Do you think it even work for him? She asked Dave, her eyes on her oldest child, curiously curled in his crib, his nose near his toes. Why wouldn't it? Because he's a mutt? Don't say that. We're all mutts, Dave said, just not as much as him. Sammy stirred. His body uncurled and he pulled himself into a standing position using the balusters of the crib. He smiled at his mother, drool dripping down either side of his mouth, and reached for her over the railing. Amber stepped in his direction, subconsciously hating his smile because it belonged to his father, the white boy who hadn't enough money to move her off the res, let alone pay for pampers. Mutt, she thought, thinking Dave might be right. Maybe Sammy was a mistake, just like hooking up with his father. She rushed to Gray when he suddenly whimpered in his sleep. The per capita checks arrived $1,159 each. More would come next month and the month after that. The statement for Grayson's trust fund arrived as well, his money already earning interest in the account he wouldn't be able to access until he turned 21. That's yours. Amber said, speaking in soft, high tones to the baby balanced on her knee. Gray grasped a corner of the bank statement with an uncoordinated, slobbery fist. He shook the paper, wetting it, tearing it. Amber giggled. My little Indian. She nuzzled his fuzzy head as Sammy crawled across the floor at her feet. Daddy, she said to Gray upon hearing a truck door slam outside. Beaming, Amber held her checkup in one hand, the sealed envelope containing Dave's in the other, as her man came bursting through the door. Big John Labarge is dead, Dave announced. Sammy crawled up beside his mother. One of his dimpled hands battered her bare foot. Amber's smile faded. No, he's not, she said to Dave, refusing to believe. Big John had been an ancient when she was born. She'd thought he'd be ancient forever, the last of the tribe's old-school Indians. Words getting around, Dave said. I just heard the news over at the Black Bear. Squeezing his mother's leg, Sammy pulled himself to his feet and pinched the knee opposite his baby brother. Down, Amber said, wincing. Her palm against his forehead, she pushed Sammy back onto the floor. What were you doing at the Black Bear? Having a drink with the boys. Dave plucked his envelope from her hand. Told him I'd be back. Dave kissed the check, then bent and kissed Amber on the head. Sammy climbed up her leg again. I'll be home late, Dave said on his way out the door. I said get down, Amber snapped, knocking Sammy to the floor. Aren't they adorable? Amber pulled the pair of moccasins, each no bigger than the size of her palm, from the box on the coffee table. Handmade by Mink Osog. She crafts the cutest damn things. Dave swung Grayson high into the air, making the baby squeal. What'd those run you? Don't worry about it, they're worth it. She shook the little leather shoes, making their tassels shake and their shiny glass beads rattle. Anything for my little Indian. 
You know he's going to outgrow them in a month. The kid grows like a weed. He's already almost as big as your mistake. Huh? Dave jerked his head toward the corner where Sammy lay on his side, needing a new diaper, atop an old sweatshirt and other dirty laundry. His arms and legs straight out before him. They looked extra long compared to his narrow body, sunken around the waist and sheer around the ribs. Amber returned her attention to the moccasins. Her face lit up. He can wear them to the funeral for Big John. He was more Indian than us all. Hate to break it to you, babe, but Big John's not going to care. So? Everyone else will. I can't wait for them to see. Dave swung Grayson again, then planted him on the couch beside his mother. She blew a raspberry at the child, making him laugh some more, then slipped the moccasins onto his chubby feet. I knew he'd like them, Amber said. Gray rolled onto his back, toes in the air, and reached for the beads attached to his new shoes. Perfect for when he starts to walk, Amber said. Soft? Flexible? I want to film him when he takes his first steps. You haven't filmed the kid enough? Dave stuck a cigarette between his lips and grabbed a lighter from the coffee table. Amber picked up her phone and scrolled through the videos she'd shot of Gray. Dozens of them. I don't want to miss a moment. She turned the camera on the boy. This little Indian just got his first pair of moccasins, she said, narrating. One day, he'll be chairman of the tribe. In the corner, Sammy stirred, his left leg scratching the itch on his side. Dave picked the narrow piece of wood with strings strung through it up off the table. The string game, he said. Haven't seen one of these since I was a kid. Amber snatched it from him and dangled it over Grayson's head. The child, planted in his high chair, giggled and swatted at the strings. I want him to be raised in the ways of the tribe. All the old traditions, the old-fashioned toys. I want him to know his roots. She gave in and let Gray grab the stick from her. One end went straight into his mouth. He's a little young for it, don't you think? It's in his blood, she shrugged. Dave took his usual seat at the table, one hand holding a cigarette over an ashtray, the other making sure Grayson wouldn't hurt himself. Amber turned to the boiling pot of pasta on the stove. She heaved it to the sink to pour the water out. I've been thinking about Big John, she said, steam billowing in her face, fogging her sight. It doesn't seem right to just let him go. What do you mean? He must be at least three quarters, maybe more. Dave's face frazzled. I don't understand. His quantum, yeah? It's high. So? Dave questioned. Just seems like a loss to the tribe. Big John's a big loss. Dave wouldn't argue that. Amber set the pot back on the stovetop, her back to Dave. He was special, she said. We'll never see the likes of him again. She scooped a large spoonful of the plain macaroni elbows from the pot and turned toward the high chair. Her sight still a bit hazy from the steam, she saw something scoot across the kitchen floor, from the corner to the table, where it vanished from sight. Dave took a long drag and blew the smoke at the ceiling. Amber flicked the noodles from the spoon onto the tray attached to Grayson's high chair. Gray dropped the string game to the floor, his hands groping for the macaroni instead. Sammy crawled out from under the table, not on his hands and knees, but on his fingers and toes, his vertebral column stretching his skin. He sat beneath his brother's chair and clamped the string game between his teeth. Done shoving noodles into his mouth, Gray fussed to get out of the chair. Dave hoisted him and carried him out of the room, leaving Amber to clean up the mess. She brushed the cold and soggy remnants from the tray into her hand. Sammy whimpered. Amber tossed him the scraps. They spattered on the floor. Amber pushed Grayson along in his buggy, Sammy keeping pace behind them. She parked the stroller beside a picnic bench and lifted the boy out of it. Swing time, she said, carrying Grayson into the park. 
Happy Babble spilled from his mouth as she secured him in the baby swing. She'd just given him a push when she spotted Claudia Wolf, her old friend from high school, coming down the path, practically being pulled along by the terrier mix affixed to the leash in her hand. Claudia! Amber waved, beckoning her over. Claudia's face lit up. The dog yipped and made a beeline for Sammy, scratching in the sand to the left of the swings. How've you been, girl? Claudia said. Last I heard, my mom told me you were about ready to pop. This must be your little angel. She smiled at Grayson, stroking one of his fleshy cheeks. He's my little Indian, Amber said. A total doll. Her gaze traveled from the dog, still yipping at Sam, to Claudia's free hand, now resting on her belly. Are you? She asked. Claudia's smile widened, showing off gums. Sixteen weeks, she said. That's great. You know what that means, don't you? What? Playdates, Amber said. Claudia laughed. Of course, we need to catch up. What's it been, two years since we've seen each other? Yeah, since you left the res. I'm back now, Claudia said, probably for good. Is it? Amber asked, eyeing Claudia's belly. A girl, she said. I mean the father. Is he at least one quarter? Claudia's expression puzzled. The bloodline, Amber said. Will your baby be on the tribal roll? The dog leapt and yanked the leash, forcing Claudia to grasp it with two hands. Oh, the roll. Yeah, she'll be. Claudia's eyes flickered. She looked lost for a moment. Everything all right? Amber asked, pushing Gray again. It's just my blood sugar, Claudia explained. It's a bit harder to regulate now that I'm... She motioned to her baby bump. Oh, right, Amber said, remembering that Claudia had been allowed to eat fruit snacks in class and that she'd periodically injected herself with insulin. That one yours? She asked, jerking her chin at Sam, yipping like the terrier, rolling around with it in the sand. Sam! Amber clapped her hands, giving Claudia a sympathetic smile. Could use a trim, couldn't he? Claudia said of his matted appearance. He could use more than that, Amber thought. Grayson's getting his first cut before the funeral, she said. Is there a custom for that? Claudia shrugged. I'll ask Dave. Maybe we'll see you there, Claudia said. I'll look for you. Claudia pulled the terrier mix toward the picnic table, Sam growling with discontent. Great seeing you, she called over her shoulder. Mourners wearing button-up shirts, black dresses, dark slacks, and knit blouses stood outside the chapel, puffs of smoke dissipating overhead. A flask went around. It was empty before Dave and Amber, Grayson in her arms, got out of the car and crossed the lot. Would you look at him, Mary Kingfisher said, clutching her chest. Her eyes bounced from Gray's sunny smile to the moccasins on his feet. He's absolutely precious. He looks like my dad, doesn't he? Amber said, cheery with pride. A little like Big John, too. He's definitely related. Number 1223 on the roll. Good for him, Mary said. Have you been inside? Amber asked. Mary nodded, her joyful expression wiped from her face. Go say your goodbye. Dave pulled open the chapel door and Amber took a step inside, only to quickly retreat. She glanced down at the sad sight sitting on the curb, wide eyes searching for attention from someone, anyone. Can you keep an eye on him? She asked Mary. I shouldn't bring him inside. Of course, Mary said, her demeanor turning even more dour when she glanced down at the curb. He seems well-behaved. Amber stiffened, her fingers wrapping tight around the strap of the bag hanging from her shoulder. I'll make it quick. Dim and cool on the inside, the chapel stretched out before Amber and Dave. A few dozen people sat in the seats facing the casket up front. A handful of others milled about, squinting at photos of Big John, dabbing their eyes, blowing their noses. The faint sounds of flute music floated on the air. 
It reminded Amber of autumn days when she was a kid, back when Big John would sit on his porch and play, making music that predated them all. Amber passed Gray to Dave. Reaching for his mother, Grayson let out a shout, which seemed to grow louder as it echoed through the chapel rather than rapidly fading into oblivion. Take him outside if he gets too fussy, Amber said to Dave. Do you want me to come with you? He asked as she started down the aisle toward the casket on the stand. Amber shook her head. Take him to the elders. I'm sure they'd love to see him. The next generation. Amber lay next to Dave in the dark, half asleep, while Grayson fussed on the bed between them. She closed her eyes and rubbed Gray's back. Once he'd quieted, soft squeaks, whimpers, floated in from outside. Amber lifted her head from the pillow, straining to hear. <clears throat> Do you hear that? She whispered to Dave. Silence ensued. Hear what? He grunted. The whimpering persisted. Scratching sounds came from the front of the house. That, Amber said. Do you hear that? Dave snored. Hey! She shook him, sitting up in bed. Did you leave the dog out? He grunted again. Amber hopped from bed and crept into the hall where she stalled. Poking her head back into the bedroom, she said, Do we even have a dog? Dave rolled onto his side. We have something, he said. Amber followed the whimpers to the front door. Something was scratching on the other side, aching to get in. Amber pushed the curtains aside in the nearest window. She saw shadows, darkness, and hair. The something whimpered again, and Amber felt it this time deep inside. My God, she gasped, opening the door. The something wasn't a dog or anything she recognized, though she knew its name. Clawed fingers and toes carrying its long and withered body covered with a combination of bleeding bald spots and hair tangled with clods of dirt and worse. It crept inside and collapsed on the floor. Crud-crusted eyes looked up at her as it labored to breathe, drawing arduous breaths through the shrinking holes in its muzzle. Repulsed by the sight of it and its smell, Amber slowly squatted and pulled the thing toward her. It whimpered and whined, getting blood on her fingers. She could feel its bones through its gauzy flesh, fragile and fine. Amber picked it up and carried it through the house to the boy's bedroom where she placed it in its crib. Sammy, she said. Knowing that the something could grow into anything, she took the dream catcher from over Gray's crib and hung it over Sammy's head. Wait, what? This author put these ideas of neglect into my head? So from start to finish, I'm seeing Grayson, the golden child, her little Indian, get all of the attention. He's getting spoiled. And then I'm seeing Sammy lay with a dirty diaper on top of dirty laundry. But what's actually happening is we're getting hints of Sammy transforming into something. A wolf? I'm wondering if Claudia wasn't granted the last name Wolf for the sake of tipping off to the reader, this is a shapeshifter scenario, this is a werewolf, something like that that would get your brain heading in the right direction as opposed to this dead end of abuse neglect. I mean, yes, that's going on, but there's something bigger happening here. There's a transformation happening in more ways than one. When I go back through and reread, I'm seeing these dog-like comparisons. At the very beginning, Sammy's curled up in his crib with his nose toward his toes, exactly how a dog sleeps. 
And as I'm reading this for the first time, I'm thinking, that's weird. But I'm not pursuing it because Nick Medina is convincing me otherwise. He's putting these images of a child laying on dirty laundry with a full diaper at the forefront where no one is tending to him. So all these emotions are flooding forward instead of these inquisitions. I'm thinking, by God, pick up that kid, give him some love. Instead of thinking, why is he being so weirdly described and why is his back leg itching his side? This is the description. His arms and legs straight out before him. They looked extra long compared to his narrow body, sunken around the waist and sheer around the ribs. He's describing exactly what's happening to this kid. It looks very dog-like, yet my mind is rejecting it. And I think he's doing it so seamlessly because every once in a while, he'll give Grayson these dog-like qualities like drooling or bubbling or blurbing like a kid. Well, we also have descriptors of Sammy drooling. From the very first when we meet him, he stands up in his crib, a very man-like quality, and then he starts drooling a baby-like quality, but also a dog-like quality. So you have all of these options on where you want to go, and if you're like me, you're choosing baby. Nick Medina totally threw me off the scent. And then when we get to the park scene, we see a terrier mix, which I really like the nuance of that, that it's a mix, it's a mutt, it's not a purebred, playing with another mutt. And Claudia even says, man, that thing needs a trim. Is that yours? And that idea is immediately chased with, oh, Grayson's getting a haircut for Big John's funeral. Nick Medina is giving me everything I need to jump to conclusions, but I'm not doing it because of his placement. Masterful. And so when I go back and read it, that's why the terrier was making a beeline for this dog-like kid rolling around and playing in the sand together. That's why Claudia is not mentioning two babies, she's just mentioning one. And this short story does have gaps in it, so we really do jump from the funeral to Amber and Dave laying in bed together, Grayson's there, Sammy's not mentioned, but we're kind of used to it at this point that he's forgotten. And so when this thing is scratching and whimpering at the door, I'm not even sure if I was thinking it was Sammy. I was just thinking eventually we'd get to him laying alone in his crib while Grayson and Dave and Amber, the happy family, are all cuddled in the same room together. Sammy is isolated. Clawed fingers and toes carrying its long and withered body covered with a combination of bleeding bald spots and hair tangled with clods of dirt and worse. Well, let's backtrack to when Amber's making macaroni for Grayson and there's something weird going on in the corner of her vision, but her vision is cloudy from Dave smoking in the kitchen and the steam from the macaroni that she's not sure what she saw. What she missed is Sammy crawling from under the table, not on his hands and knees, but on his fingers and toes, his vertebral column stretching his skin. Anything obscure like that, I'm thinking it's his way of wording something to put me on edge, not give me one hell of a clue that this thing isn't fully human. It's something, a mutt. Dave says we're all mutts, not just Sammy. It's one of the only times that he's including Sammy. But when it gets to the part where he's losing his form and becoming more, I'm assuming, human-like, shrinking holes in its muzzle. 
And then when she calls it Sammy, I can't really wrap my head around it. And that's why when it suddenly ends, wait, I have a lot more questions here. So then I just have to go back and reread it and reread it, trying to answer those questions. Frankly, I still have questions. It whimpered and whined. Getting blood on her fingers, she could feel its bones through its gauzy flesh, fragile and fine. Well, we understand that Sammy's ribs and vertebrae are visible prior to this scene, but again, I'm thinking neglect. Amber's in the kitchen feeding Grayson and throwing the scraps to Sammy. I'm not thinking throwing scraps to a dog. I'm thinking human degradation. You're not good enough to be served at the table. But the very last sentence of this short story, knowing now that the something that's italicized could grow into anything, she took the dream catcher from over Gray's crib and hung it above Sammy's head. At the very beginning, we're introduced to this dream catcher that it's supposed to ward off evil. Why is she putting it above Sammy's head? Because she knows that he can transform into anything, so she doesn't want him to transform into something evil? Again, is this a werewolf situation? Or is this something bigger scale? I have no idea. I am left wondering, and I'm here to tell you I am more than okay with that. I actually love that. Highly recommend this read. That's a wrap on this episode, but I do believe there will be future episodes on this anthology. Oh my lord.